This is Carly. Carly is one of the um, primordial gods of Hinduism. They've got 33 million, but Carly is one of the fundamental ones. Carly means black, and she's called black because black was the first thing. Black came before dark, came before light, and she represents that primordial chaos. She's a god of annihilation, a god of destruction. You may have heard of the, the thugs of India. The thugs were a group of bandits who lived in the uh, 19th century. And they specialised in garroting their victims. They, special, they hung out in the fields, befriended people um, who were travelling. And then when they were asleep, um, they garrotted them. And um, one, one thug, when he was questioned, said these words. He said, we consider them victims thrown into our hands by Kali to be killed. We're the mere instruments in her hands to destroy them. If we do not kill them, she will never again be propitious to us, and our families will be involved in misery and want. This is Kali. We'll take a picture of, and I hope and pray it is never shown in this place again. Some of you will know um, that I had the privilege of spending nearly three weeks in India recently. Um, and I, I know some of you have been to India. Um, 94% of certainly Indians in the region I was in are Hindu. Um, and you can't turn a corner without um, bumping into a shrine. Here's, here's one example of this one. We found a little back street, a um, little deity there, incense burning, people worshipping. Um, and while we were there, we, some of us decided to visit the Temple of Kali, which is the, the central temple of Calcutta. Kali, there's so many gods that they tend to choose a few to worship, but Kali is really the goddess of Calcutta. Um, and uh, the Kali Temple is probably the, the central place of Hinduism in the city. So a group of us decided to go and visit the temple because we wanted to understand Hinduism a little bit better. And as we approached, um, we, we went on Bengali New Year, um, which is a day when it's, they want to, seek, um, want to seek blessing, I guess. They want to propitiate the God um, and, and you know, hope to get a good year. So it was a very busy um, day to visit the temple, but a um, particularly interesting day, I guess. Um, as we approached, we had to walk, walk. We couldn't drive close to the temple because it was so busy, and the streets were lined with, with vendors um, selling things for, um, for them to offer to the goddess. So um, you see this chap, he's got chili peppers on the right-hand side. Those are good luck um, things, which they often hang from the, the mirrors of their cars and so on. And then on the left, you'll see he's got um, garlands of flowers. And so they buy garlands of flowers, they buy incense sticks, and they buy um, offerings of fruit, which they hold in a banana leaf. <coughs> and these are all to give to the goddess. And then we, um, we negotiated with a, a Brahmin who offered to take us inside. And we went into the courtyard of the temple. And um, but again, very busy, very, lots of people selling things, lots of people milling around. And we went to a little courtyard, which was probably about three metres square. And uh, this courtyard had two um, stone pillars, about, about so high and just about, you know, about a foot square, about this far apart. And this is the place where the animals are sacrificed. We didn't see a sacrifice. There was a goat around the corner that had just been sacrificed, being skinned. Um, this is the place where they sacrifice animals to Kali. This is the place where they used to sacrifice humans to Kali. And there was a queue of people queuing up to come and 
embrace those stones and kiss them and put their head between them and pray for a blessing. And then three of us decided to go right into the temple itself to see what that was like. And uh, we went in and it was it was incredibly busy. It was incredibly crushed. I've never been so um, so physically crushed and oppressed as I was there. Um, there was a there was a, a dark alcove to the side, and uh, the goddess was quite deep in this alcove. I couldn't see her. It was fine. I didn't particularly want to see her, but that that was where that was where she was. But the crush around that alcove, the crush of people to try and get close to the goddess was, was incredible. People were clawing each other out of the way and climbing over each other. And, um, and they all had their offerings. They all had their garlands of flowers, incense, fistfuls of money, and um, the, the offerings of food and the banana leaf. And then we came out, and um, there was a, another shrine um, nearby, another Kali shrine just out in the street. And then these, this group of young men, uh, well, a whole crowd of people around the shrine, this group of young men... Um, doing something, sending up flame, huge leaping fire, and you can see the smoke there, and dancing and singing, and this was all part of part of their worship. The psalm, I'm going to actually just reread part of the psalm we started with this morning, Psalm 115. You read um, a few verses. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They make no sound in their throats. Those who make them are like them. So are all who trust in them. Little Israel, very small country, surrounded by um, other countries, some of them very powerful, all of them pagan countries. And little Israel, struggling and very often failing, but struggling um, to remain faithful to one God. Struggling for monotry rather than idolatry. And in that crucible, this psalm was created. In that, in that place of grappling with the pressure of other gods being worshipped, and how do we worship one true God in that context? In that crucible, this psalm was written. Let's think a bit about idols. It was very um, apparent to me in India. Um, I've never been to a place so, in my mind, like, um, like the culture that um, the early Christians would have lived in. We, we went to um, Pompeii a few years ago. You couldn't throw a stone without hitting a temple. But of course, they were, they were all defunct. They were all, all gone now, all shut. In, in Calcutta, it was very much like that. You couldn't throw a stone without hitting a shrine. What does this psalm tell us about idols? Idols will promise you anything, but they can't deliver it. 
That's what, that's what this is saying, isn't it? This idol, you know, she's got eyes, but she can't see you. She's got ears. She doesn't hear your prayer. She's got a mouth, but she will never answer you. She's got hands, but they will never reach out and help you. Idols will promise you the world, but they cannot deliver. And that's what, that's what we saw, isn't it, in the, the story we told the children. Um, and it's so, the reason I had that refrain that kept coming up, no voice, no answer, no response. Our, our English translations don't pick that up sometimes, but it's very stark in the original. There's no voice, no answer, no response, and there never would be. And that was what so struck me when I stood in that temple in Kali, was these people who had really genuine religious fervor and genuine spiritual hunger, and there never will be a reply. The God that promises so much and will never be able to deliver. And the current gods, the gods we worship here in the West, the gods we worship in the 21st century, they promise so much, don't they? look at adverts sometimes. I try not to look at adverts, actually. But when you see adverts, they, they promise, you know, you're not buying a car, you're buying a dream family who will never drop popcorn or, or argue in the back. They promise what they can't possibly deliver. You don't buy a bed, you buy blissful romance for the rest of your life. They promise what they can't deliver. That's the first thing about idols. I think the second thing about idols is that they demand sacrifices and give nothing in return. You know, the people coming to that Kali temple, many of them were bringing food that would have been far better given to their children or eaten themselves. But she demands those sacrifices and gives nothing in return. An idol will chew you up and spit you out. And that's, what, that's why I played that clip from Lord of the Rings. And that's, that's what the ring did, wasn't it? That's what, that's what Gollum's idolatry brought him to. It chewed him up and spat him out. It demanded everything and gave him nothing in return. And in verse 8, we get this really sad, really key verse. Those who make them are like them, and so are all who trust in them. We become like what we worship. If you worship Kali, you will become cruel and self-serving and fearful. If you worship money, You'll become greedy. You'll know the price of everything and the value of nothing. You'll think things and people can be bought and sold. If you worship sex, you'll become lustful. You'll objectify other people. And you'll become objectified yourself. If you worship power, 
You'll become corrupt. You'll become an abuser. You'll become a little dictator. We become what we worship. And whatever we put our trust in, that much can we receive help. If we put trust in human things, we can only ever receive human help. If we put trust in something created, we can never receive help that transcends that. So we li- if we, we limit ourselves in where we put our worship, we limited ourselves where we put our trust, we limit the help that we can receive. We become what we worship. And then in contrast, with Ascension Sunday, we remember the Ascend is Jesus. Verse 3 reminds us, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That little phrase there, he does whatever he pleases, that's a legal phrase. And I guess the best we can come to is he's got executive authority. That's what it's saying. Our God is in heaven and he has executive power. When he had, in the Hebrews we had, when he had provided atonement for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Our God is not a God that you find in a little alcove in a temple. Our God is the God who sits in heaven with executive power. Unlike the idols that promise everything, and deliver nothing. We have a God who over-delivers. A God who surpasses our expectations. Who is beyond our wildest dreams. Who delights to catch us out and surprise us when our faith is this big by blessing us this much. We have a God who over-delivers. If we just look at the second half of the psalm. The psalmist really wants to drive this home. What does he say? He says, he will bless us, verse 12. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. Our God is a God of blessing. He's not a God who demands sacrifice and gives nothing back. He's not a God who chews you up and spits you out. He's a God who delights to bless. To bless and bless and bless again. And our God is a God who moulds us in his image because we become like what we worship. And when we worship the living God, we become a little more like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 it says this, and Paul here is using some images from Old Testament worship to make his point. He says, And all of us with unveiled faces... Seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as we worship, we become a little more like Jesus. Because whatever we worship, that's what we will end up looking like. One of the things that 
really struck me when I was meeting Indian Christians was um, one of the ways that they approach evangelism. And I heard two stories um, which made the same point, I think. One was a, a young man who had become a Christian out of a Hindu background. And his family had been praying for, I think, four years for the mother's widow's pension to come through. Bureaucracy is appalling in India. And um, if you don't prepare to grease someone's palm, or if you're not able to grease someone's palm, it, it grinds much slower. And uh, they've been waiting for this woman's widow's pension. This wasn't a top-up. This was what she was actually going to live on for four years. And they've been praying to their gods. And somebody said, why don't you try praying to Jesus? And they prayed to Jesus, and the pension came through immediately. Now that strikes me as just a little bit like that story of the prophets of Baal, isn't it? That's quite a brave thing to say. <gasps> what if God doesn't deliver? What if he doesn't do it? Actually, God is very able to take care of his own reputation. And the other story I heard, which was similar, was somebody else who was, again, from a Hindu background, very dissatisfied, very searching and, and, and just felt hungry, wasn't being satisfied by Hinduism. And somebody said, you've tried this God and this God and this God, and you've tried this way of life and this way of life. Try Jesus for six months, they said. Try Jesus for six months. I've never said that to anybody. I don't know about you. Try Jesus for six months. What, what faith, actually. But what a, what a modern representation of that, of that contest, of that competition. Try Jesus. Do we have the confidence to know that our God is the God who has executive authority? Our God is the God who over-delivers on blessings. Our God is the God who will make us in his image as we worship him. God, give us the wisdom to spot the idols in our own lives. God, give us the strength and the courage to turn away from them. Amen.